0: Amen, amen. That is why we're here today. I'm so glad you're here with us during this season of the year, Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a series we're calling The Majesty of Christmas, and we're looking at the wonder of Jesus' majesty as he's come to us. You know, there's so many interesting um, traditions that we all have as we celebrate Christmas We put stockings on our mantle. We choose to open presents on Christmas morning. And to us, we think of those as all normal and natural. They're just traditions that we have developed here in the United States. And I've seen that across the world, there are some very interesting traditions when it comes to Christmas. For example, in Germany, they do something similar to us with stockings, except they set their shoes outside the front door. And they leave things for their Santa figure in hopes that he will bring them good. And so if they've left something good and they've been good, then he'll leave them some fruit and apples and nuts and those kind of things in those shoes. Interesting, right? Now, we'd probably be afraid to leave our shoes outside the front door for fear they would disappear, right? So in Estonia, a very different tradition. The tradition they have there is on Christmas Eve, They all go to church together, but before they do, they go together as family to a sauna. How about that? Family bath before the evening service. And the children sometimes get new clothes after the family bath to go to the church service. Makes you glad for just stockings on the mantle, right? Yes. (laughs) In Slovakia, a very different tradition Their tradition is not to eat a ham or a turkey on Christmas Day. Theirs is to eat carp, a fish. But not just to eat the carp, but to catch it, bring it to the house, put it in the bathtub, and let it live there for a day or two. Yes, look it up. And then you kill the carp and eat it. What a joy for the kids that must be. <laughs> Crazy stuff. But we know that the real meaning of Christmas is the birth of a Savior given to us by God. Amen? And may our traditions grow out of that and the richness of what Jesus has become for us. We are in the, a passage in Hebrews chapter 1. If you have your Bible or if you have a Bible app and you're following along, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're looking at the first four verses throughout this month. We covered the first two last week, and we saw this in verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken in many, many ways throughout from Genesis all the way to Malachi, there are many pictures that he had given to us. But in these last days, the Bible says, he has spoken to us by his son. And we saw last week of how the Old Testament is filled with pictures that all point to the son. And if you don't understand that that's what the Old Testament is all about, that it's all about Jesus, then you will misunderstand much of the Old Testament. But if you use Jesus to help you understand it, it'll make a whole lot more sense to you. So we saw that verse, and then we saw this, and we we drilled down on these two things in this next part of the verse here in verse 2. It says that through Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the worlds. Isn't it wild how he just attaches that sentence? Oh, and uh, through him also he made the worlds. The whole universe is created by him through Jesus. He just spoke and eternity comes into being as in the physical realm. Crazy stuff. So today we get into verse 3. We're going to just camp out there for just a little bit. We're looking at the majesty of Jesus and what he has done in coming to us as a babe And I mentioned last week how we can look at the Christmas story from so many different angles. You can look at it from the perspective of Mary, from Joseph, from the shepherds, from the wise men. You can look at it from a lot of different angles. But this year here at Vertical, we are looking at it from heaven's perspective. We're looking at it from eternity's perspective and what the Father had planned and what was accomplished when this baby is born who will be and who is the king of all kings. We see his majesty here. So let's look at verse 3. One verse that we'll hang out on today. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That's our verse for the day. How about that? Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. God in all of his glory. In all of the wonder that he is, it says that Jesus is the, the brightness of his glory. He's the greatest of the glory of God. And he is the express image of his person, he is the exact image of what God is. You know, some people have this idea that in the Old Testament, God was this mean bad guy. And in the New Testament, God is Jesus the nice guy. You know, kind of like God woke up on the wrong side of the bed in the Old Testament and the right side of the bed in the New Testament. I'm going to tell you what. He's the same God from beginning to end. He's the same God who has always existed. He is the God who doesn't have beginning or end. He is the God who always is. Amen? And if you take, according to this verse... You take all that he is in eternity, in his grandeur, in all of his magnificence. If you could take all of that and package it and put it into human form, you would have Jesus. He is the exact image of the heart and essence and person of God. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me... You've seen the Father. There's not a difference between he and I, Jesus would say. He is the express, the exact image. Now, to truly understand what this means, to truly understand the majesty of who Jesus is and what it means that he came as a baby at Christmas, we have to go back before his birth. We have to go back before that Christmas we have to go back in time in fact Jesus said of himself truly I say to you before Abraham came into being I am you see Jesus was born that day as man but he had always existed now this next part of our service is going to be challenging to all of us so I'm just going to to tell you up front You're going to need your spirit-filled thinking caps on this morning because we're going to journey into some pages and thoughts in Scripture that maybe you have not ever even considered, thought about, or known. We're going to see Jesus before he is birthed here. We're going to see what he's doing even before creation. Because he has always existed. Now, for us to do this, we have to go back to a a place before Genesis, the beginning. We have to go back to a time before then. Watch this. We have to go back to a time where there is no time. Mm, That's that's hard. That's already hard right there to kind of wrap my head around because I'm, I'm a time dweller. We all are. We know this service started at 1030. We know it's going to be over around noon. You've got plans the rest of this day, and they're based on times. Our life is based on times. We know we have a certain number of years we're going to live. We live in a time-based world. But before there was a world as we know it, there was a time with no time. There was eternity. And there, there is no time. Time. There is no beginning and there is no end. There is all at once. Mm-hmm. Watch this. We have to go back to a place that is not actually a place. We have to go back to a place where all there is is God. Before he spoke and created the worlds, he was. He existed. It's not that God was in a place there. There. For that would mean he was smaller than the place. Stay with me. It means that there's not a place. Out beyond that, what there really is is just God. That's what there is. There's God. And if there's a place, it's in Him. Yes. Uh-oh. A place without a place, a time without a time, and yet it is all God in that place. He is all there. He is all-consuming. He is there in all of his glory. And I'll tell you this, contrary to what you may have heard, he is not lonely there. He didn't say one day, oh, I'm so lonely out here in outer space by myself. I better create somebody. It didn't happen. You can search the scripture, it didn't happen that way. In fact, what you find instead is God there, not alone, but in Trinity, in three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and they're dwelling there. And they're taking delight and glory and fellowship in one another, in that place without a place and time without a time. And they are overflowing with all that they are. The Father's honoring the Son. The Son is honoring the Father. The Son is honoring the Spirit. The Spirit's honoring the Father, and they're fellowshipping together, and in them is life, real life, and it's overflowing in the midst of them. There's nothing, there's no weakness. There's no shadows. There's only the brilliant glory of the fellowshipping, triune, wondrous God, and He's there in all of His fullness What's difficult for you and I to wrap our minds around is that he's in this eternal place without a place, time without a time, and it's not something that you can even see with physical eyes. Yeah, don't, don't cut me off here. Stay with me. First Timothy says that he's the king of kings and the lord of lords who alone has immortality. He, he can never die. And he's dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen Or can see, whoa, God dwells in this place before and always in brilliance. He's not affected by death. He's not affected by anything. He is overflowing with life and all that he is and all that is glorious and wondrous is in him. He is righteousness, and He is pure, and He is perfection, and He is wisdom, and He is might, and He is power, and He's overflowing with it. He is the source of it all. It comes from Him. It flows from Him. And as it overflows from Him, we call it glory, His glory. It emanates from Him. It's the overflow of all that He is. His glory. And this is all happening before we've even begun Genesis chapter 1. You might think, wow, I just wonder what is, what's most glorious about Him? If you could take in all that He is, what would be the most glorious? Would it be His holiness? The angels in heaven, when they are gathered around Him, they, they take in what is happening, who he is, what he is. And they have one word that they utter over and over and over. It's the peace they can't get away from. It's the thing that stands out to them. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is that what is most glorious about him? Is it his... His holiness, that there is such perfection and beauty, such justice, such righteousness, such purity in all things, no shadow of turning, no no hidden agenda, just God in His holiness. Is this the greatest? No. Well, perhaps it's His power. In, In theology, they call it His omnipotence. His all-consuming power, his ability to just speak and creation comes into being. His ability to just create the heavens and the earth with just a word and they, they come into being. His power, is this the greatest thing? Is this the most glorious thing? His power that is able to do far beyond what we can imagine or think? Is this the most glorious? No. Well, maybe it's his presence, his ability to be in all places. The theologians call it his omnipresence, present everywhere, his ability to be in all of eternity. He's not in one place and needing to be in another. He is not sometimes here and sometimes there. He is everywhere. He is eternity. There's no place. There's just God there. Is this... His most glorious feature? Is this what's most wondrous? No. Perhaps it's, it's his creativity. I mean, look what he's done. Look at what even just we can see here on planet Earth. What we can see that he's created. What we can see in the stars and the planets. What we can see in our one solar system and galaxy and, and pictures we've seen of beyond that. Is this what's most glorious? His ability to create and do so with such diversity and such grandeur. Is this what's most great about him? No. Maybe it's the fact that he is the unending source of all things. That he doesn't have to go anywhere to get power, to get strength, to get his worth, he has it all. He is the source of all life. Is this what's the most glorious? No. Perhaps it's his ability to have design and intent and purpose. The fact that he doesn't do anything that's random or with chaos, but he does everything with intent and design. In fact, we know from Scripture that there before anything was created that is seen, there was design, there was intent. The Scripture makes it clear that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was slain. The pattern, the plan was all laid in place before the first word was spoken That said, let there be. God has design. He has intent. He has purpose. There's nothing random. There's nothing chaotic. There's nothing beyond his control. He has all control. Is this what is his greatest glory? No. Well, perhaps it's his knowledge. That God has knowledge of all things. Theologians call it omniscient. He knows all things. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head, whether that be a lot or very little. (laughs) He knows everything about you. He knows the words that you have spoken over time. He knows the words you will speak. He knows your thoughts before you've thought them. Wow. Have you ever wondered you could just If you could know your spouse's thoughts, (laughs) and quickly you went, yes, and you said, no, 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 (laughs) right? I know, I know. Just imagine if you did, how full your head would be of things you wanted to hear and didn't want to hear. Or just add into that your children, just imagine if you had all of the thoughts of your family all together in your head, and they were all moving around in there. Whew, It makes me tired. Watch this. God knows all of our thoughts. He knew them before we thought them, and they don't bump into one another in him. But we have to go ahead and multiply that times all the number of people alive today. And who have ever lived or who ever will live. This is the omniscience of God. And we're just talking about our thoughts. Hey, there's a whole lot more knowledge out there beyond that. There is nothing that catches him off guard. There's nothing new to him. He knows all things. He knew that bill you were going to get this week. He knew that phone call that you did not want to get this week. He knew that sin you would commit. He knows your hurts, your longings, your dreams, your fears. Surely, this would be what's what's most glorious about God, that he can know all of that. But the Bible says there is yet a greater glory than any of those things and any others that we might attempt to list this morning. Our verse said that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Jesus alone is brighter and more glorious than all of any one of those things. Because in Jesus is all of those things. And in Jesus, all of those things step down into planet Earth to tabernacle among men. Jesus comes and he limits himself. Can you imagine having all of that, knowing all of that, having all power, having all glory, having all rule and reign, having all worship given to you and you choose to lay that down. You choose to come to earth and limit yourself. Give up what you had to know little, to have little power, to have little presence. And yet Jesus does this and he comes and not only that, but he comes to be a servant. He humbles himself, lays down his life, pays the price for sin, defeats Satan, rises again the third day, and it causes him to be the brightness of God's glory. He alone is the greatest expression Of God's glory. And really, we haven't even got to Genesis 1 yet. We're still just before creation. This is all before a word is spoken. But then God does speak. We read in Genesis that He creates. And what He creates, He creates out of who He is. And he creates form and substance that you and I can understand. He creates earth. He creates water. He creates wind. He creates gold. He creates things that we can touch and feel. But watch this. They are all just pictures of the reality of him. Gold that we treasure here so much on earth is just a picture of real gold in him. Water that we enjoy here on planet earth is just a picture of water living water that is in him he is not the metaphor these are the metaphors these are just the symbols these are just the pictures to help us grasp an even greater reality that is in him he creates light and it is our version in the physical realm of what glory is like all right So we look up at the sun, not for very long, or not at all. We just glance at it, and it's bright. It's glorious, right? It's it's just too much to take in. That is a physical world example of the glory of God in its reality. And the reality is far greater than the picture. Hello? The glory of God is majestic, and he creates. And he creates man. And he creates woman, and he gives them dominion on the planet. In fact, it says in Genesis that he, it says, let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, there in eternity, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us create one who is able to experience who we are, that we might overflow to them, that they might enjoy all that we are. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms that he creates man, Psalm 8, 5. Write that down. You're going to want to look at it later. It says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory. Can you imagine? Adam and Eve in their original state were crowned, Another word is surrounded or clothed in glory. They were sharing in the very glory of God. Now they were not the glory, but they were sharing in the glory. They were crowned with it. They were clothed in it. They were told to enjoy all that God had created. All of the trees of the garden. They were told to freely eat. And look here. They weren't just peach and pear and apples. They were of a a spiritual nature. There was something about the garden that when you ate, it actually was pleasing to your tongue, but it did something to your soul as well. So I have to imagine that these trees weren't like we think of pear and peach and apple and plum, they were joy. They were kindness. They were peace. They were hope. They were God's creativity. They were God's justice, God's righteousness, his fullness, his power, and they were eating in all of it. They had the ability to walk on this planet in the full glory of God. Can you imagine that? There was no death. There was no fear. There was no doubt. There was no uncertainty. There was no sin. There was no guilt that separated you. There was no conflict. There was no tension. There was no uncertainty. There was the fullness, full awareness that you were with God. And you shared in all that he had and he shared all that he had with you. And you were the, you were crowned, With glory. And so that when Adam and Eve looked at each other, they were not clothed with clothes. But they didn't see and were not ashamed of their nakedness because they were clothed, crowned with the very glory of God. Wow. It changes the look of the garden completely. It's a picture that you and I probably struggle to even imagine what it must have been like to share in this glory that God was sharing with man, life as it was intended, peace, joy, hope, intimacy with God, design, power, fellowship, man, Adam and Eve sharing in the fellowship of the Trinity, enjoying life with God. Wow. This was the glory that you and I were intended to experience. This is what we were made for. It's what Adam and Eve had until until they sinned. You see, God had said there is one tree you're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, I don't want you to experience life by you knowing all things good and all things evil. I want you to trust me for that. I will lead you and I will feed you. Walk with me. But Eve was deceived and Adam willingly sinned and ate the fruit. And the Bible says as soon as they did, they were filled with guilt. They were completely and instantly aware of their nakedness. Because what had happened is the glory had departed. The glory left. Now they were just man. They weren't man crowned with glory. They were man filled with sin. And in that moment, they ran and hid from God. And they were ashamed and they did their best to try to cover their nakedness because they were embarrassed of what they had done. Ashamed to be before their God. And now sin took over. The Bible tells us in Genesis that they were forced from the garden and the garden was closed. For man not to enter again for a while. And they would then live life like you and I live with doubts, with uncertainty, with fears, with selfishness, with anger, with conflict, with tension, with bitterness, with jealousy, holding on to a grudge. Pointing out everybody else's faults. And it would lead even to such bitterness and jealousy that there would be murder in the first family. In the book of Romans it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not experiencing life as it was intended. The glory was gone. They were forced to live life on their own. And this did not catch God by surprise. Did not catch him unaware. He didn't have to quickly go to his books and fumble for an answer. It was all part of his plan. His design from the beginning. Glory before creation. Glory designed for man. Glory lost through sin. And then God begins to unfold his plan. And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, God gives glimpses of his glory. He gives pictures, glimpses, opening of windows to show man the glory that was gone, that had departed, that they had been cast out from and there were pictures. There was a time when God took Moses, and he put him up in a cleft of a rock. Moses wanted to see God's glory. He just wanted to catch a glimpse of it. He just wanted to see him. So God puts him there. He covers him, and God says, I'm going to pass by, but it will just be the backside that you will catch as I pass by in my brilliant glory. And the moment is so astounding to Moses, he can hardly grasp it. And it forever changes because he just caught a glimpse, the faintest glimpse of the glory of God, of what he is in reality, of what man was intended to be. We get another picture later as God gives Moses the uh, blueprints for the tabernacle, the place where God will dwell, the place where sacrifices will be made for sin so that man can be right with God again. They're just pictures, however, of another lamb to come. They're just pictures throughout the Old Testament. And in this one picture, this tabernacle is built according to God's design. And when it is finished... The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the place with such astounding presence that they could not even stay in it. They had to leave because the glory was so astounding. Just small pictures and glimpses of glory that exist in him, that he is, and that you and I were meant to live Isaiah chapter 6, another story. Re- Isaiah's given a vision of God. There's a throne and there's great holiness and the angels are gathered and the glory is there in that place and it forever changes Isaiah. He falls down on his face before the Lord and God uses him in a mighty way because he comes face to face with God's glory And experiences it. These pictures go on and they all pointed to another glory that was coming. They all pointed to Jesus who was coming. Who would come to restore the glory for man that you and I were intended to have. Mm. So the New Testament unfolds. And we see verses like this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his... Glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Himself would pray as He was about to go to the cross in John seventeen, and He would say, "Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was." And He goes on and says, "And I desire, Father, that." also those whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you've given me. Jesus was saying, Father, I want for them to experience what you and I have and had so that they may behold my glory and share in that glory Can you imagine? This is the heart of Jesus. This is why he came. This is what he has come to be born for. This is what he would go to the cross for so that you and I might again experience life in the glory of God. You and I were intended for a whole lot more than just this repetitious life going through time filled with weakness, filled with struggle, filled with uncertainty. This is not what we were designed for. Amen? You and I are intended to walk in glory and be crowned with this glory. And this is why Jesus came. It was his heartbeat. This is why the angels split the sky and say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. Because God was showing his glory in Jesus. And he would be the exact image of the Father. Jesus would say in John 14, If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. He would go on and say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 1, he would say, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John 10, Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. It also says that the Jews took up stones against him on that day. They didn't like hearing that. That Jesus and the Father are one. People don't like hearing that today. Jesus was a good man, but Jesus as God... hmm. What people really don't like hearing is the fact that you and I can be reconciled, restored to God and to say that we've been made one with him. It's tough. There's many Christians who don't even like to think about that because they get all caught up in their sin, their weakness, their struggle. And the idea that Jesus has come and that he has paid for the sin and he has removed the guilt and he has come to make us one with the Father. So people say, well, I like Christianity, but that stuff gets a little spooky to me. I'm here to tell you that is the essence of faith in God is knowing that Jesus has come, he's paid my debt, and he has made me one with the Father to share in all that he has. Yeah, we're not through yet this morning. You see, Jesus comes to restore the glory so that all who would confess their sins, all who would repent, all who would crack open their heart to be honest would then receive him. And if you received him, you received his glory and you'd begin this process of being changed. Yeah, you do. Second Corinthians 3 says... Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You see, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're on a journey now. You're in a process in Christ, you've already been made complete. In Christ, you've already been forgiven. In Christ, you've already been made righteous. But you are looking... somebody anybody got a Bible? paper Bible? Perfect, thank you. He says, you are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When you take your Bible... And you open it and you read about the glory of God and who Jesus is, you are looking into a mirror. Now, stay with me. I said a mirror, I didn't say a window. There's a difference between a mirror and a window. If I look out a window, I see what's out there. If I look into a mirror, what do I see? Me. So guess what? I have been, if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm looking into this mirror, and the more that I look and see the forgiveness that's mine, it starts changing me. It starts changing who I am. I'm looking into this mirror, and this mirror has power. This mirror is Jesus himself, and when I look into it, it starts changing me. When I look into this mirror and it tells me that I'm accepted, it starts changing me where I don't have to live in fear of rejection because now I know I am accepted in Christ. When I look into this mirror and it tells me that he has become sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. The more I keep looking at it, the more it keeps changing me and I get changed from glory to glory and I find myself walking righteously where I wasn't before. Amen. I'm telling you, this has the power to change us because the glory has come. The glory in Jesus is powerful. All that he is there, he is here. And when you look at it, it changes you here. Hello, amen? Can you imagine? Thank you, sir. Us, man, getting to experience the glory of God. That's why in the book of Psalms, it would say, what is man that you are mindful of him, us, weak, frail, inconsistent, yet you choose to show your glory to us, to change us, to restore us, to redeem us, to change the way I think and free me from my destructive ways. To change the way I think so that I don't have to live discouraged and depressed. To change who I am so that I might have freedom in my relationships. To start bringing reconciliation. To start bringing restoration. This all happens as you keep looking into the glory of God. It changes you. Yeah. That's where we all are. We're in that process of looking and being changed from glory to glory. But let's see the rest of the story today. Because that's not the end of the story. Where you and I are today is not the end. There's another time coming where we go back to the time without time. Back to the place without place. Whenever you and I have finished life on this planet and we are in the presence of God, we'll be in that place where he was all the time. Amen? Time without time, place without place. And in the book of Revelation, John gets a picture of it. He gets to see some of it. So watch with me as we finish up today in Revelation 21. John says this. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. I'm okay with that. Amen? This planet... It needs some help. It needs restoring. It needs to be redeemed because it is fallen. It's experiencing the consequences of Adam's sin. It's a fallen planet. And John says, I saw it. I saw a a new earth and, and I saw a new heaven and there was no more sea. This place was different. He goes on in verse 2 and says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He says, I saw something, and, and the only thing I know to compare it to is like at a wedding. He says, I see this city coming down. That's all I can picture is a city but it's not really a city because it's kind of like a bride as well. And it's like a bride and she's she's glorious. She's beautiful. And she has been prepared for her husband. You know, if you go to a wedding, you know, that is the best part, right? You know, you've been sitting there for a while and you're anxious to get on the cake and maybe the meal they're providing, but you listen to some music and you know, it starts coming the ushers, and the parents are being brought down. Music's playing. And then, you know, then comes the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. They're all coming in, and it's kind of building, you know. The music's building up a little bit. And you can tell, hey, we're getting closer. You know, there's the best man. They were getting close. And all of a sudden, the music kind of builds. And the pastor says, would you please stand, you know. And then you look, and here She comes. Bum, 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 bum. You know, here comes the bride. Everybody turns around and looks, and all the ladies are like. Ah. <laughs> and some of the guys, they're crying, but they're, like, <clears throat> they're trying to hide it. It is the most beautiful moment when the bride is coming down the aisle. She's beautiful. She's, being, she's been preparing for this moment. She's been waiting for this time where she'll walk down the aisle and stand right next to her husband. And John says, I don't know what to compare it to, but this is what it was like. It was, it was like a city, and it was majestic. It was huge, but it was very personal. It was very emotional. It was very moving. And I could tell a lot of preparation had gone into it. This, these people, this person, it's like a bride prepared for a husband. It goes on in verse 9, and it says, Come. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now look, we don't have to be too, many, too much of a Bible scholar to know what's happening here. The lamb is Jesus himself. He is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And John looks and he sees the lamb and he sees this bride coming down who's been prepared. And he says, this is the, the lamb's wife. That wife. This is you and me in Scripture. This is a look into the place without place and time without time. And here is this bride who's been prepared. And she's prepared for the groom. Jesus himself. Wow. You and I getting to share life with Christ oneness with Christ, nothing held back with Christ, full blessing with Christ, all the riches with Christ. It goes on and John says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And John says, there was something about it when I looked. I see the bride. I see the city. I'm trying to take all of this in. But there's one thing that just stands out to me. There's one thing that seems more grand than anything about this bride, about this city who's been prepared for this moment. And here it is. Check it out. (laughs) Click. (laughs) She's having... The glory of God. She is restored in completeness to all that she was originally intended for and more. She is there with the lamb and she has the glory of God. The crown is placed back on her. She's clothed with it and she's there with Jesus. John goes on, he says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no place. Remember, that's what I said. There's no place you go to. There's no temple area. There's no altar area, because it's it's everywhere. It's who He is. The Lamb is the temple. And he said, And the city had no need of the sun, Or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. It's a place without place. It's a time without time. It's a creation, an area, an eternity that's different than what we know. And he said, there's there's illumination, but there's no light there. There's no sun and there's no moon, but it is brilliant and filled with glory. He says, "And, and what I see illuminating it is the glory of God. The glory is just emanating from that place But John says, I'll look deeper to see where it was coming from. And look what he says. He says, the Lamb is its light. Jesus, again. It started with Jesus in the before. And it ends with Jesus in the after. That is all the same. Last verse and we'll finish. It says, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. This place without place where God is, the lamb is there, filling it with glory, absolute wondrous glory. And he says, those who are saved, those who have repented of their sins here, have put their faith in Jesus, they walk in the light of this glory. They're there in it. They're just walking about in it. They're enjoying it. They're taking in all of the majesty, the grandeur, the righteousness, the favor The blessing, the peace, all that's in him. They're just walking in it. Wow. And this was God's design. Sin corrupted it. Jesus came to restore it. And he makes it possible for you and I, by faith, to know this glory today. So that in my heart, I'm walking in his favor. Forgiveness, his peace, his hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you have that today? Do you have that peace? Do you have that hope? There may be some of you here today that have not taken that step. You've been to church. You've been religious But the idea of truly being at peace with God, of knowing that glory has come, and you settling the matter, it hadn't happened yet. And this has only ignited the desire even more for it. The Bible says that that happens when we repent of our sin and we become a follower of Jesus. So today... If you have not taken that step, then it begins with a prayer that goes something like this. God, I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory that you intended for me. And I repent of my sin. I know that it was placed upon your son, Jesus, and I thank you for that. And I receive your forgiveness, your favor. And your love. If you pray that prayer, then on the authority of scripture, then you are saved. You enter into a, a new covenant, a new relationship. You become a new person. Now, I know you may have already taken that step and you say, I did that. It's been a while, but I can tell you honestly, I haven't been walking in the light of it. It says here that these nations were walking in the light of this glory. And maybe this Christmas season, you're ready for things to be different. You're ready for a new dimension of God to intersect your life. You're ready for a fresh picture of him and walking closeness with him. It's almost the same process as when you were saved. You repent of where you've been. And you accept his forgiveness and say, God, thank you that you have forgiven me. I come now to walk with you. And walk in the light of this glory that you've given me. Would you bow your heads? This is the reason the angels came. This is the reason Mary treasured up all these things. This is the reason that the shepherds made haste to go and see the Christ child. If you're here today and you have sincerely prayed the prayer of repentance and you've asked Jesus into your heart and today it starts Would you just raise your hand and say, I've prayed that prayer today. I'm ready to begin new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Anyone else? I'm praying that prayer today because I'm tired of this religious walk I've had. I'm ready for real life in me. I want to know the glory of God. You're praying that prayer today. Just lift your hand. Anyone else? Amen. If you're here today and you're saying, God, I have not walked in the light but I am I'm choosing to today. I'm turning my back on where I've been and I'm turning to face you in all your glory. Thank you that you've given me glory, in Jesus. Would you make that commitment to him just in your own way right now? If there's sin to repent of, do that. If there's commitment to be made, do that. If there's thankfulness that's swelling up in your heart, Express that to him. If you're grateful for glory he's given you today, thank him for that. If you're grateful for glory yet to come, thank him for that. If you see it, that today not all things are under his feet, but you're longing for the day when they all will, thank him for that. Worship him.